We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. I am looking forward to our time together in God's Word. Uh, Today we are in week five of our series called A Call to Die. And over these last four weeks and today we're looking at what it means to follow Jesus as his disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus and to, to do this with reckless abandon and radical surrender? And, and we kind of chose those words deliberately, that idea of reckless abandon and radical surrender, because I think it paints a picture for us of how we are to pursue Jesus with everything we have, to love him with all that we are, and, and to give up everything that we have so that we might attain everything that he has for us. That's what a disciple does. A disciple follows with reckless abandon and radical surrender, believing that God, um, and through being a disciple in Jesus Christ, um, will give us all that we need. And over these last four weeks, we've looked at, uh, the first week we looked at the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. We learned that it's a costly thing. When Jesus called those first disciples, he called them to leave their careers, leave their family. He said, it's going to cost you everything to come and follow me. Um, In week two, we looked at the call. What does it mean to be called to be a disciple? And we learned that we're all called to be disciples. Every single one of us are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And that that call isn't based on any gifting or talent or anything that is within me. It is is a call that is uh, because of his grace and his mercy that he would invite me in to that relationship. And then in the third week, we looked at the rest that is provided for the disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus acknowledges that this road he has called us to walk is at times heavy and laborious, and and our souls have to be refreshed and rest. And that's where we looked at Matthew 11, where Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then last week with Pastor Daniel, we looked at the love that is ours as disciples of Jesus Christ, that love that nourishes and sustains us as disciples. And so today, we're going to look at one of what I think is one of the more difficult teachings of Jesus. Not difficult in that it's a struggle to understand, difficult that it is in that it is a struggle to obey, to kind of receive and walk in obedience to. And this morning, we are looking around the teaching of Christ uh, toward the issue of persecution. Persecution. The disciples of Jesus Christ were learning as they followed him and went with him, they were learning that not only were they called to abandon everything for the name of Jesus, but that his name and their devotion to that name 
was going to bring persecution in their lives. They were learning this. Um, I think Jesus obviously preached multiple great sermons. The greatest, you've heard me say multiple times, you'll hear me say it a thousand more times, is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. If you're wondering where to start to learn about the kingdom of God, start there. Start Matthew 5, go through chapter 7, and read the Sermon on the Mount. And, and in that, that's exactly what he does. He preaches this sermon about the kingdom of God. And, and he taught how we are to pray. That's where we see the Lord's Prayer, how we are to love one another, how we are to put uh, spiritual disciplines in our life like fasting, and how we are to wrestle with sin issues in our life like lust or, or other things, and um, how we are to love our enemies. And it, and it focuses on how the citizens of the kingdom of God live in that kingdom. But where we're going to be this morning is in Matthew chapter 10. And in Matthew chapter 10, here's what we see. We see a shift from a focus on the kingdom of God to now a focus on the mission of God. On the mission of God. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the mission that lay ahead of them. So grab your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 16. Matthew chapter 10, we'll start in 16. And to kind of catch us up uh, here in chapter 10, verses 1 through 15, what we see is Jesus is commissioning uh, these 12 apostles to go out on the mission field and begin their, their mission work. And look, this must have been a very exciting time for them because here they are gathered with Jesus. And in verses 1 through 15, what we see is Jesus begins to uh, commission them of what they're going to do and, and charge them with the power they're going to do it. And through those verses, what we see is he is giving them the power to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to cleanse lepers, to raise the dead, to give peace and, and blessing. Now think about that for a moment. Here is Jesus, their Lord and their Messiah, their King. They know he is from God. And just in the last few weeks and months, with him, just in their journey with him over the last few months, and for us that's laid out in Matthew's chapter 8 and 9, just in these last few months, here's what they've seen Jesus do. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him cleanse lepers. They've seen him open the eyes of the blind. They've seen him raise a dead girl back to life. He has restored the speech of someone who was mute. He has healed a man who was paralyzed, and he's calmed a storm with just his words. That's what they've seen in the last few months. And now, here they are with Jesus, and he is saying, I am sending you out to do these same things. That must have been overwhelming, very exciting. However, starting in verse 16, the conversation begins to shift, and Jesus begins to give them what had to feel like the bad news. You ever had that happen to you? You got some really great news, only to have a bad news chaser right behind it. You know what I mean? That's, I feel, feel like that's what's happening here with the disciples. Jesus began to tell them what will happen to them as a result of their obedience to the call he was giving them in this moment. And he begins to reveal the persecution that they are going to endure. And so we're going to read in Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 16. I want to ask you to do something. We don't always do this, but, and we won't always do this. But I, this morning, would you just stand as we read God's Word? Let's stand together. 
Here's why I want us to do this today. Um, in, in recognition of our dependence on this holy word and in affirmation of its truth for us and in covenant with one another and with God to obey its teaching, I want us to stand together as we read. So you follow along as I read. Verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Verse 20. For it is not you who speak but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Let's pray. Father, your word is strong and powerful. It is applicable for every area, for every situation, and for every moment. Of our lives and Father, in confession, um, you know my heart. You know there are, are, are times in my faith journey with you, God, where I have not leaned into it in times of persecution, but away from it. And so, Father, I'm asking for each one of us this morning, for for us as brothers and sisters in Christ and as your children, that we would lean into this teaching today. That you would open our eyes to see it, give us ears to hear it. Spirit, we need you today. Reveal your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church, for doing that. Here we kind of see Jesus teaching and preparing his disciples for what is about to be the most difficult period of their lives. See, because of this, because uh, for these men, and from this moment forward, until they die a martyr's death, they will spend the rest of their lives being persecuted for the sake of of the gospel, and for the name of Jesus. So this moment with Jesus is incredibly important. It's important to realize that when Jesus is giving them this teaching, not just about the power they're going to receive, but about the persecution they will endure, he already sees to the end, right? He knows what the end of the road is for these men. They don't know that yet. They don't know that this is going to end. Peter doesn't know this ends with this, him being hung upside down on a cross, they don't know that some of them end with them being martyred. John is here. John doesn't know that this ends with him being imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos and working in a mine. They don't know this, but Jesus knows. And so in recognition of what he knows, he is preparing them for what is to come. So this moment is incredibly important because it is building their faith. It is, it is, it is preparing them. And listen, church, we lean in 
We lean into difficult teachings like this. Because here's what I will tell you. If you are a disciple of Jesus, walking in a way that he has called you to walk, being obedient to the commands he has given you, radically surrendered to him, and the way we described it a few weeks ago, being covered with the dust of your rabbi. Remember we talked about, if that's how you walk and how you live, then here's what you can know. You will face persecution. You will. You will face persecution. So what we're going to find for ourselves this morning are some wonderful truths that prepare us, that strengthen us, that enable us to walk this road that Jesus has said is going to happen if you are his disciple. Here's the first truth that I want you to see. As disciples of Jesus, we can know this. There is an expectation of persecution. There's an expectation of persecution, meaning what? We should expect it because it's going to happen. Jesus is helping his disciples understand, you need to know this is coming. This is not an if, this is a when. This is, this is happening. And there's an expectation of persecution. Look at verse 16 again of chapter 10. He says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus tells his disciples to expect this persecution. They are sheep and they are being sent out in the midst of wolves. That's just very interesting language that Jesus uses. Why? Because what's the relationship between a wolf and a sheep? They're not buddies. They're not friends, right? Wolves eat sheep. They hunt them. Sheep run from wolves. Wolves, wolves chase sheep. They, they, are, they are enemies in nature of one another. And yet Jesus has said, I am sending you, my sheep, out into the midst of wolves. Well, immediately in my mind, I start to remember Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And I think, wait a minute. It's the good shepherd. What's the job of a shepherd? <laughs> it's to protect the sheep, right? To keep them away from the wolves who want to devour the wolves who are pursuing. And, and Jesus is, says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So what is Jesus saying here as our good shepherd when he says, I am sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves? What is he saying? I think he's saying this. I think he is saying the mission of God is not lived out in the safety of the sheep pen. Are you with me, church? The mission of God is not lived out in the safety of the sheep pen. Which means what? Which means we don't just live out the mission of God inside these walls. The mission of God is lived out outside of these walls, in the midst of a culture that is moving against us, that is indifferent to us, that is intolerant of us. That's where the mission is. And Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd, and I know what's best, and I am sending you, my sheep, out into that. The mission of God is not in the safety of the pen. So if we are to expect persecution. How is it that Jesus calls us to navigate that? How are we to handle this persecution? Jesus tells us this. He tells his disciples, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. 
Again, there's just this really interesting word picture. Being wise as serpents and innocent as doves. He says, be wise and be innocent. That's what I want you to do. I was reading an article about uh, a man in California. He was a believer. And he had wanted to start a Bible study in his home. There wasn't a church uh, in his neighborhood. And so as a believer, he wanted to start a Bible study in his home. And he did. He started inviting friends. And, and it began to grow. And more and more people came to it. And one day in the Bible study, he gets a knock on the door. And it's the local uh, police department. And they have uh, uh, two or three tickets that they issue him right on the spot because all the people that were coming were parking in the neighbor's yard, parking wrong on the street. There were too many cars on the lot. There was all these things. And he had broken all of these zoning and parking laws. <laughs> and he was being ticketed. He goes before the city council to try to challenge the tickets. And he says he is being persecuted for his religious beliefs. And I'm thinking, no, you're not being persecuted. You're not being wise. That's what's happening. Wisdom says, obey the law. Wisdom obeys the law. And so this guy wasn't being persecuted. He just simply was not being wise. Jesus says, as you go out and live this mission, be wise. Wisdom obeys the law. Wisdom knows the rules, operates within them. Which is to say... In obeying the law as believers in Jesus Christ, we do that. We submit to our authorities. We obey the law only until it causes us to move against this law. This law stands above. This law supersedes. This law goes before. I submit here first and there second. So if, that, so if that law does not cause me to move against this one, then I submit to it. Jesus says, be wise. Be wise. Do not provoke. I don't think Jesus is calling his sheep to go and pick a fight. <laughs> Have you ever known believers who their, their mode of evangelism was to try to argue people into the kingdom? They were just going to shout you down and argue you know, and, and can I tell you, nobody's won to the kingdom through an argument. That just ain't how it works. Nobody's won to the kingdom. Jesus says, no, we, we are wise and we are innocent. We're not out picking fights. Matter of fact, Jesus tells his disciples, if the message you are given is not received in this town, what does he tell them to do? Shake the dust off your sandal and get to the next one. Right? He's, but ultimately, what does he mean when he says, be innocent as doves? He's saying, as you are on this mission, as you are living your life among the wolves, live lives of holiness. Live lives of purity. Live lives that stand apart. Peter, who was in this group right now, in this moment, he's in this group that is receiving this charge from Jesus. Later, after Jesus has died and, and, and been resurrected and has ascended to be with the Father. Years later, as Peter is in his ministry, he would write uh, his first letter in 1 Peter chapter 2, and here's what he would say in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of the visitation. For, in verse 15, for this is the will of God. What is that? That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 
That, that, that moment right there is the echo of what Jesus taught him in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, Be wise as serpents, be innocent as doves, live in a way that is pure, give them no reason to, to lob false allegations on you, but walk in purity. And here is Peter saying, As you move among the Gentiles, which by the way, Hebrew tradition, Jewish tradition, and rabbinical teaching referred to the Hebrew people as sheep and the Gentiles as wolves. And so when Peter says, walk among the Gentiles honorably, he's just echoing what Christ has said. You live lives of honor among the wolves, which means what? It means disciples of Jesus Christ set the standard for integrity in our culture. That's what we do. We set the standard of integrity. Jesus is saying, that's what I'm calling you to do, to be wise as serpents, to be innocent as doves. So he then goes on to kind of list four different kinds of persecution that they will face as a result of being his disciples. And I believe these are just as applicable to us as they were to the disciples in this moment. The first one that he describes for them is a religious persecution. A religious one. Look at verse 17. He says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. He's saying you're going to experience religious persecution. Right now, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted from other religions. That's happening right now. Right now, there are brothers and sisters in Christ, and God forbid that it would ever happen here, that there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are experiencing persecution because their other brothers and sisters in Christ are not walking in a way that is pure, and it's causing them to rub against one another. So here's what that looks like. There's going to be times when you might have a brother or sister in Christ who doesn't include you in what they're doing because they know your standard of holiness will not allow you to participate in it. So you're left out. That happens. That happens. There are times that I, I grew up a preacher's kid, and um, which meant everything you think you know about preacher's kids is true. We were horrible. Um, but I grew up as one. And I remember distinctly, as a, as a, even as a little boy, um, when I would walk up on conversations with adults that weren't my parents, Everything about that conversation would change when I got to it. I just remember it, it left an, a mark on me. I remember going to my friend's house and walking into their parents, doing the panic clean and hiding the things they didn't want the pastor's kid to know they had. It, it left a mark on me. Why? Because even among believers, you may experience persecution. And so... He's saying there is this religious persecution. Here's the other one he said. He said there is a governmental, there's this government persecution. Look at verse 18. He says, And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So how does this apply to us? Do you know that right now in local courts, state, circuit courts, and the Supreme Court, there are believers in Jesus Christ who are being sued for everything they have, people trying to shut down their businesses for one reason, because they won't compromise on this. That's, right now that's happening. That's, that's, that's not something 50 years from now. It's happening today. 
And I'm telling you that I don't believe that's going to get better. Believer, I think we need to gird up and strengthen up and focus and be ready because it's just going to be more and more. There is a governmental persecution that Jesus, he said, they're going to drag you in to the court before governors and kings. Here's the other one. Look at verse 21. He says, there's a family element to this persecution. He says, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. I know with this many people in the room, here's what I know. Some of you have a broken relationship with a relative because of your relationship with Jesus. I know that's true. Some of you have family members who will not come to your house, who will not see you at Thanksgiving because there is such a, a brokenness because you walk with Jesus Christ and because since light and darkness have no fellowship with one another, it is perpetually rubbing them the wrong way and they can never be comfortable around you. Am I, am I making something up? or can uh, I'm, I'm telling you, it's real. It's real. There are broken relationships in our families. Brothers and sisters, daughters and sons against their parents. Jesus is telling his disciples, you're, the people in your religion and the people in other religions, they aren't going to get this. They're going to persecute you. He's saying the government, the courts, the kings, the governors, they're not going to get this. They're going to persecute you. The people in your house, your fathers, they're not going to get this. They're going to persecute you. And then ultimately, he says in verse 22, there is a societal element. He says in verse 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. He's saying all of society is going to persecute you. Believers, as Jesus, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we should expect persecution. The, the deliverance that we have received from God for our souls is the same deliverance that positions us to endure persecution. Did the lights just change or did I? Okay. It's just uh, just uh, making sure. I wasn't like feeling dehydrated. It was like, well, here it goes. It's happening. <laughs> so uh, I, be I better do some stretches. Somebody put something soft on the ground. The, uh, all right, good. We're back. I think Jesus is saying that there is an expectation of persecution. It is going to come from all areas. John Piper said this. It's a great quote. He said, Jesus died in our place so that we might escape the wrath of God, not the wrath of man. We will not escape persecution in this life. It will not happen. And if you navigate a life that is, has zero persecution in it, more than likely what that means is you aren't standing out against the culture enough to draw attention. And listen, that's not a slam. I'm telling you, I've spent years of my believing life being that person. Jesus says, expect persecution. It's coming. Here's the second thing. There is promise in persecution. Um, excuse me, there is purpose in persecution. How do we handle then if it's going to come from all sides and we should expect it and we should be wise as serpent, serpents and innocent as doves? How do we handle it? Jesus says, here's the first way you handle it. You recognize there's purpose in it. There's purpose in it. Look at verse 18. He says, and you will be dragged before governors, or excuse me, governments and kings for my sake. Why? To bear witness 
before them and the Gentiles. Church, the promise in our persecution is that we, or excuse me, the purpose in our persecution is that we might bear witness of Jesus, that we would be positioned to speak life and light into a world that is dark and dying. To declare that we have found a faith worth dying for. That's the, the, the purpose in it. There's purpose in our persecution. And Jesus says, when this happens, not if this happens, but when this happens, it is happening so that you can bear witness of me. There's purpose in it. Right now, there are places all over this world where Christian brothers and sisters are living under relentless persecution. It is ha- we forget that sometimes. I'm guilty of just not, of not praying for the persecuted church like I should. We have brothers and sisters, our spiritual family, living under relentless persecution. Some of the worst uh, countries in the world are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, India, Pakistan, the Sudan. That's just to name a few. Those are some of the worst. And in those countries, there are, there are anywhere from a few thousand Christians to a few million Christians who live under constant persecution. But you want to hear something unbelievable? Those are the same countries where the gospel is exploding. <laughs> if that doesn't blow your mind, that's the same countries where the gospel is exploding Men and women are being rescued from hopeless religion, from demonic oppression into the kingdom of God. Why? How would that happen under such relentless persecution? Because there is purpose in it. There's purpose in it. We see this all through the book of Acts. You look at the early church, those first believers and the Sanhedrin and the Roman government were relentless in their persecution of those believers. But do you know what you see through the entire book of Acts? You see this phrase, and hundreds were added to their number daily. <laughs> hundreds, thousands were added to their number daily. Some places it says, and 3,000 and 4,000. Why? Because there's purpose in the persecution. And what is the purpose? That we might bear witness. And by faithfully bearing witness, we might win them. There's purpose in it. This week I read an article about a pastor who is in India right now. His name is Pastor Rahman. And Rahman grew up in a very poor part of India and grew up in a very dark spiritual environment. And uh, his uh, grandfather was actually a priest in a pagan Hindu uh, religion. And the way his grandparents and parents made money was they sold curses. Now think about that for a minute. People would come to his grandparents and his parents, and they would sacrifice an animal and provide for them everything that was necessary for them then to go and take this curse and put it on someone. That's the environment he grew up in. That's what they did to make money. So it's no surprise then that as a young boy, 8, 9, and 10 years old, Ramon struggled with... Um, being oppressed by evil spirits. He talked about how he heard voices. He talked about how he was constantly trying to harm himself, so much so that he, uh, b- between 9 and 10, his mother would have to chain him up in their home for days and weeks at a time to just prevent him from harming himself. So his mom comes to her wit's end. She doesn't know what to do. She's, 
She's prayed all the Hindu prayers over him she can, and nothing has changed. And by God's divine appointment, she meets one of the few Christians in their area, another lady. And that lady says, you should bring him to church. Bring him to church. So she does. And for the next month, that church laid hands and prayed for Ramon. And not only was he delivered from those evil spirits, he became a believer in Jesus Christ and years later would submit his life to the ministry and become a pastor. Now, now Ramon today, right now in India, is a pastor. But for the years of his ministry, God began to put it on his heart to see churches planted in India and around where he lived. And, and he began to have this heart for Bible studies to crop up and Sunday school classes to, to be uh, planted. And he would be planting 20 and 30 and 40 Sunday school classes and, and two or three and four different churches in these areas. And his ministry was blossoming. And all the while that his ministry was blossoming, the persecution from the local Hindus was getting heavier and heavier and heavier and becoming more and more violent. Until one day, this is last March, a year and a half ago, March of 2018, Pastor Ramon was sitting in his church at night. He was praying. And some young men came, having been paid off by uh, some Hindu extremists, and they set his church on fire with him inside it. This is a year and a half ago. Believing they would obviously destroy the church and kill him. Well, he survived. He survived the fire. Here's what's amazing. Three weeks after that church was burned to the ground, the believers in that community gathered together and rebuilt it in three weeks. And in the third week, I want you to hear me, 500 precious little Indian children came to a vacation Bible school and dozens of them came to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Why does that happen? Because there is purpose in persecution. There's a purpose in it. It's doing something. It is doing something. Believer, if you are in a season where you are struggling with persecution, whether that is religious, whether that is governmental, whether that is uh, society, whether that is in your family, can I just encourage you and say this? Hold on. Hold on. There's purpose in it. God is doing something. So Jesus says, we are to expect persecution he is saying there is purpose in the persecution. Here's the last thing I want you to see. He tells us there is promise for the persecuted. There's promise for the persecuted. When Jesus looked at these disciples and he's revealing to them uh, what they are going to endure, he knows that it's heavy. He knows that it's weighty. He is calling them to a life of hardship and rejection. So what does he do? He does what a faithful and loving shepherd and father does. He gives them assurances, promises that are going to see them through to the end. Promises that they can hold on to when they're tired, when they're weak. Promises to encourage their soul and nourish their faith and strengthen their bodies as they walk this road of persecution. There are three promises that I think we see Jesus give his disciples. And believer, I want you to hear me. These promises are for us as well. They're for us as well. Let's lean in right here. I want you to look at verse 19 and 20, and here's the first promise. We see the promise of provision. The promise of provision. Jesus says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. How? For it is not you who speak. 
So who's going to do the speaking? But the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. What is Jesus saying? He's saying in this moment, when this persecution comes, not if it comes, but when it comes, don't wrestle with the anxiety of trying to figure out the perfect words and say the right thing. This is, this is a crippling hurdle, I think, for the church at times. And that is the fear of not knowing what to say. It's the fear of thinking we're going to say the wrong thing or give the wrong answer. And you know what? The disciples struggled with that fear too. Jesus saw right to the heart of it. And he says, in that moment, when you are faced with persecution, and it's heavy, and it's dark, and you don't know what to say, what did he say? Do not be anxious. Why? For the Spirit of your Father will speak through you. He said, I'm going to provide. I will provide for you. And I will speak through you. He says, it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father. So the question is, not will God provide, but rather, how do we trust in this promise of provision? And the only way I know how to trust this promise of provision is to look back on his record and realize it's perfect. Not one time did he fail to provide. Not one time did he fail to provide. And in just a few places, God's word cover to cover is filled with the promise of provision. But the ones that come to my, my mind, I think of Daniel. You remember Daniel simply for praying three times a day. He was arrested, brought before uh, the rulers, found guilty, thrown in the lion's den. And yet God opened Daniel's mouth to speak to affirm his faith, and then he shut the mouths of the lions to preserve his life. Why? Because he provides. Because there was a promise of provision. I think also in the book of Daniel, I think of three of my heroes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those guys? You learned about them probably as a kid. What happened with them? These three Hebrew men, faithful to the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar the king builds this giant golden image and says he wants the entire nation to bow down to it. So he gathers the entire nation together and he makes his proclamation. When you hear the sound of the music playing, and he lists all the instruments, he says, when you hear that, you are to bow down and worship that image. Well, the music played and everybody bowed but three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, that didn't go over very well. And the officials went and tattletailed to Nebuchadnezzar and said, hey, king, there's some guys back here they're not bowing. The music sounds great, by the way, King. Band warmed up, they're tuned, they sound awesome. These cats aren't bowing down. So Nebuchadnezzar gets incensed. It actually says, uh, and parents, you, you'll understand, it says that his visage changed. He was so mad, everything. You ever been so mad at your kids, your visage changed, right? You're just like, oh, my whole face just got wrecked. That's what happened. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar's visage changed. He was so angry. And he brings them, and the, those men knew under threat of being burned alive that if they didn't bow, that that, that that was the threat. And Nebuchadnezzar brings them before him. He says, I'm going to give you one more chance. And they go, hey, um, we don't even have to think about what the answer to this is. We're not going to bow because our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow. There was promise. And then what happened in the flames? Nebuchadnezzar, they look in and say, King, how many did we throw in? We threw in three. There's four. There is the promise of provision. Here's the second promise I see, and that is the promise of God's 
presence, the promise of his presence. He says, for it is not you who speak in verse 20, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. The presence of the Holy Spirit is there when we face persecution. God's word is filled with this promise of God's presence with us. But the two that come to my mind are Matthew 28, when when Jesus once again gives that final great commission and says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And you don't have to go alone. Why? Because surely I am what? I am with you always, right until this thing ends. I am with you. Jesus promised his presence. If you look back across Scripture, there is a beautiful promise of God's presence with us that is Old Testament and New Testament. You see it in Deuteronomy 31. You see it in Joshua 1. You see it in Hebrews 13. And that is this, from God, a promise to us as believers. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. There is a promise for the persecuted. That promise is I'm going to provide and that promise is I'm going to give you my presence. Why does the presence of God matter? Here's why it matters for me. Because my joy and my contentment are bound up in his presence in my life. That's, that's where they are. They're bound up in God's presence in my life. I need it. Psalm 16, 11, David said, in your presence there is fullness of joy and pleasures everlasting. In the presence of God, my contentment and my joy are bound up in the presence of God in my life. And here's the big one. My victory over fear is bound up in his presence. My victory over fear. What did David say in Psalm 23? He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, say the next part, I will what? I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou, you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. David didn't say, you snatch me out of the presence of my enemies and I don't have to deal with them. No, he said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. My victory over fear is bound up in the presence of God. Here's the last one. My rest and my refreshing are bound up in the presence of God. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, we've already talked about it. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God's presence matters. There is the prov- promise of provision. There is the promise of his presence. Here's the last one. There is the promise of deliverance. Jesus says in verse 22, that second half, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That is to say, will be delivered. Believer, as we endure persecution for the sake of Jesus We can do that if we keep the end in mind. And what is the end? Jesus saves, Jesus wins, and Jesus will deliver. That's the end. There is the promise of deliverance. So whatever you are in the middle of right now, whether it's that religious, that government, that society, that family, whatever that persecution is, and you you feel the wolves at the door, Can I tell you something? Persecution doesn't last forever. There is a deliverance coming. But Jesus has said, until it comes, you stay faithful. You hold on. You trust the promise. You lean into the provision. You know that there's purpose in it. That's how we endure persecution. I want you to see just very quickly 
how this charge that these guys received from Jesus, how it played out later in their life. Jesus is now resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. And now these 12 men are, are carrying out the mission in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 5, around verse 40, what we begin to see is the the apostles are preaching that Jesus is the Christ. They are preaching, preaching that Jesus lived, that he died at the hands of the Sanhedrin, but that he was raised to life. And the Sanhedrin didn't like that. So they arrested the apostles, all of them. And they said, hey, you got to knock that off. They essentially say in Acts chapter 5, stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And here, here was Peter's response. So good. He said, we must obey God rather than man. What was he saying? He was saying, I see your law and I'll obey it until it causes me to walk against this one. He says, we must obey God rather than men. Well, guess how well that went over? Not good. The Sanhedrin immediately wanted to put them to death. But among them, there was a man named Gamaliel. And Gamaliel spoke up. He was a part of the Sanhedrin court, by the way. He spoke up and he began to talk the Sanhedrin court out of... Um, killing the apostles. He begins to say, hey, I don't think you want any part of the trouble that's going to come along with killing these guys. And here's what he told him. Here was his rationale. He said, if they are not from God, then this will not last and it doesn't matter. He says, but if they are from God, there's nothing you can do to stop them. <laughs> so they change their mind. They decide not to kill the apostles. And instead of just letting them walk free, it says they, they bring them back in front of the court and in front of it, which was public and open, by the way, and they beat them right there. And then they charge them one more time, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And I want you to see what happens in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. It says, then they left the presence of the council. This is talking about the... Apostles, they just received this beating. They're limping. They're hurting. They've been humiliated. Then they left the presence of the council, listen, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. The courage for that moment was born in Matthew chapter 10 when Jesus said, expect it, know there's purpose in it, lean into the promises for it, and that's how you'll endure it. And in, and in Acts chapter 5, they were given the opportunity to demonstrate that they had found a faith worth dying for. And they were beaten and they were humiliated. But they walked out celebrating, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? It means this. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are his disciple. And if you are going to navigate this life with the dust of your rabbi all over you, you are going to move against the culture around you. It's going to happen. And when that moment comes, you will either forfeit what you know of Jesus compromise your integrity or you will lean into that persecution. You will see it for what it is 
You will believe God that there's purpose in it because it's going to give you the opportunity to bear witness. You will trust in the promises of God for it and you will endure to the end. That, that's how it applies to us as disciples. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, maybe you're here because someone asked you to come. Maybe you're here because you just feel like there's something missing in your life and, and you just showed up. Maybe you're here because you drive by, you just see lots of cars every week, you just wanted to come in. I don't know. But if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I am telling you, the first step on the road to this measure of strength and power and courage is a transformed heart. It begins with a recognition that I am not enough and I cannot fix myself and I need Jesus. And if that's you this morning, if the Holy Spirit has said to you, you need to come and give your life. You need to come and lay it down. You need to come and rest in the finished work of Jesus. Then in a moment, I just want you to come and do that. We want, we want to do that with you. Maybe this morning your confession would be, I am a disciple, but I have not walked in a way that reflects that. And just in your seat, you may not even feel like you need to stand. You just may need to sit and pray and repent. I'm telling you, whatever you need to do, I want you to do that this morning. All right, let's pray, and then we're going to worship. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. I'm praying right now, God, that in Jesus' name, we would step out in obedience and encourage. Holy Spirit, move and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's... I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.